YouTube. We are live. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everyone to Still Comfy with Jules and Nat. I'm your host. I am um I'm Julia Washington, the host of Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we analyze pop culture through the lens of race or gender and sometimes both. I'm joined by Natalie Katona, who will introduce herself for you now. I'm Natalie Katona. I'm the host of the podcast to all the men I've tolerated before. And this is Penelope. <laughs> we love Penelope. We love Penelope. We'll see if she'll behave tonight. Yes. <laughs> this is our very first YouTube live. We are um just so hang in there with us we got this <laughs> we're just doing things <laughs> we are every tuesday we do go live on instagram to discuss a different pop culture property same show but we get a little bit more in depth meaning right now we're in the middle of one tree hill and tomorrow we are reviewing episodes seven eight nine seven eight nine at yeah. least those are the ones i watched today so yeah those well, are the ones i'll have notes on <laughs> i'll make sure to do the same because i ran out of time uh, <laughs> today we come to you we gather we are gathering here today to discuss baz lorman's recent film elvis starring Uster, uh, starring austin butler i almost called him uster butler Mm -hmm. let's my... rename him yeah. i don't think he'd know he, he still thinks his name is elvis presley so mm. it's fine it's fine my brain works i promise <sighs> Ooh, sorry about that anywho so i just thought we could just dive in and you could right. tell me if you loved we'll start we could start with did you love this movie because i don't know about you i was literally the youngest person in the theater by like 40 years easily yeah. and then I, so so that made my kid the youngest by 60 years so i went by myself on mm. a two o'clock friday afternoon and so i was definitely the youngest person there and i was definitely the youngest person in my row and i was sitting by what i believe was these people's first venture to a movie theater with the reclining seats there was a lot of training <gasps> <laughs> There was a lot of, now you press this button. Now that button will wor warm up your seat. And I'm like, should I be helping? Wait. Should I? I'm just like quietly eating my popcorn. Like, I hope no one looks at me. <laughs> your movie theater seats warm up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> We're so fancy in Ohio. <laughs> I am hurt. Well, I'm sorry. And shocked and appalled because our seats. It's no. already hot in California very hot today i don't turn it on because i don't like to be artificially warm it is known <laughs> like, and so i was waiting for the very old man to my left because i was sitting at the very end of my row i was waiting for him to look at me and go young lady are you alone and me be like yeah i have to do this for work uh <laughs> shouldn't you be in school right now right and like Having to like really like throw out my Elvis knowledge and be like, here ain't nothing about a hound dog. No, I know him. I swear. <laughs> I know him. I know who he is. I promise you, I will not be confused that this is Austin Butler, not the real Elvis. I promise you. I think it's hard to land on whether or not I loved the movie. I'm not mad that I saw the movie. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of feelings during the movie. <laughs> yeah, let's explore those feelings because I feel like they're valid. Like, I think I told you 
offline, this mm-hmm. is very Baz Luhrmann. So like sure when I walked in and I saw everyone is 70 plus, I thought, oh, Jesus, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> They're not going to get it. They're going to walk out of here. I don't know. I don't know. The old but people next were blown away. Yeah. Blown it's like away. never seen a theatrical piece by Baz Luhrmann before. Or it was like they were literally reliving being on a field watching Elvis. Wiggle his pinky. Wiggle his pinky. And mm-hmm. here's the thing. Like, I, and it happened during the Aretha Franklin biopic too. My whole thing with biopics is I literally just want it to be a live concert experience. Yeah. So we'll get like right to the beginning. I'll be like, and the movie will be like, I'm caught in a trap. And I'm like, yeah, here we go. Fuck yeah. This one's my favorite. I can't walk out. And I'm like, here we go. I'm like, hit hit it with the because. And then they go to a different scene. And I'm like, wait, come back. (laughs) It was my song. I was ready. This is not what I signed up for. And then this is the only movie where I've hated Tom Hanks. I'm like, yeah. I hate Tom Hanks, and I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He plays such a gross character, and he does it so well. Or at least I thought he did it well. Not everyone agrees that Tom Hanks did it. I was, was so creeped the entire yeah. time. I and I think even... that was the point. I think that was the intention, and I think he achieved it. And I don't think I was even that creeped out when he played Walt Disney. And I'm like, <laughs> that's when I should have been uncomfy. And then he's like, he's like, kind of walking around Vegas in a hospital gown. And I'm like, Tom, put on some pants. Mm -hmm. We get it. You're ill. (laughs) And then he's sweating all the time. And I'm like, I I was like, can someone please wipe off Tom? (laughs) I was like, I don't want to hear. There was, I mean, the movie was almost three hours long. So definitely halfway through. I was like, if Tom Hanks didn't talk for the rest of this movie, I would be fine. I hated the voice he was doing. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, it was an interesting choice. So now I'm like, does that, is that what Colonel Parker sounded like? Yeah. Should I have Googled him? I, I will tell you, I'm going to sound 80 years old right now. Um, that Austin Butler with the hips. Yeah. <laughs> Austin Butler with the good hips. Uh, he nailed it. Yeah. I actually have a note to talk about his performance. Because Go for it. Tell me more. Oh. Is he already up for an Oscar? That's what they're gunning for with this movie. Seriously, I definitely succumb to the frenzy of uh, Oster Butler as as, uh, Elvis. Like, there is no doubt that I fell into that and then became extremely embarrassed by it because he looks like a child. Very happy to discover that he is only seven or eight years younger i think right. it's seven i think he's seven years younger than me so it's like oh, okay cool 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 cool. we're still I could we're, date him we're in if the it... same we're in the same window it's we check different boxes when they ask for age demographic but we're in the same window if he sees this hey austin i'm wearing a dinosaur bra in case you're interested it's got dinosaurs on it maybe if it had rhinestones oh in his current I'll, state of Elvis. Listen, I'll get a bedazzler and I'll bedazzle these T-Rexes. Don't you worry. Like, <laughs> I think I think that's not a bad idea. But he was so good. He was so good. He was, was, only, he was go only outshined once for me and it was by the kid who played Little Richard. Yes. I, that took me straight back to Full House. I was like, to the yes. you. 
And I was like, this is like actually seeing little Richard in his prime. Yeah. That kid needs to play little Richard in a biopic. I'm demanding. Yes. We actually need a little Richard biopic, please, right. because uh, that would be amazing. I need to and know then his he can life highlight before. how much Elvis stole his work, which we will get into later. Because I would like to know what he was doing before he was hanging out with Uncle Jesse on Full House. That is my... <laughs> That was my knowledge base for Little Richard. Oh, Natalie. But that was my favorite part of the movie. I was like, okay, <laughs> Little Richard's here. Yeah. And they then didn't let, did they let the BB King character sing and I missed it or it didn't affect me as much as Little Richard? No, they didn't. No, no. <laughs> he was there to reinforce the narrative that Elvis was just an appreciator of the culture. <laughs> Are we going into it now? Not yet. All right. <laughs> I wanted to, I want to give it, so I, you know, you know me and researching stuff on, do, for sh shows. Do the research. I'm the researcher. I didn't read one thing. <laughs> I, hey, that's your prerogative and this is why we love you. Rolling Stone did an article called Elvis is fantastic, jittery, horny, tireless, and tragic, just like the king. And so Kay Austin Collins had said this about uh austin butler lorman's movie doesn't need an elvis impersonator it needs an actor who can survive the movie who can not only stand out from lorman's heavy sensationalism but who can also convince us that beneath all the shiny surfaces and visual outbursts there's a person i'm gonna tell you what there are moments when i was like this isn't elvis this is Austin really? Butler. Like, this is Austin Butler. This isn't really Elvis. Like, I had... He did such yeah. a good job at becoming Elvis in, yeah. from what I knew of Elvis. Because he went very method. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, I if you guys really wanted to try for an Oscar, I feel like you should have released it Christmas. Oh. Damn it. Now Austin's going to get robbed. And, you know, he went he on talent. He might get overlooked because Baz Luhrmann's such a shiny, shiny, shiny show. With all well, the with all the rhinestones from Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, I loved that scene when he's throwing out the cape every time yeah. and they're just flashing between outfits. I was like, yep. Yeah. I like it. I love I'm an okay. Elvis. I love an Elvis outfit. Shout out to my friend Stephanie, who tried to be Elvis at my like eighth grade Halloween party. Um, she found an Elvis costume at a thrift shop. It was like $300. And her mom said, absolutely not. And she went, mom, I'll wear it to prom. <laughs> we don't, we don't have to buy me a new prom dress. I'll keep it and I'll wear it. And you know what? She ended up not being Elvis to everyone's chagrin. <laughs> oh, bummer. I was really hoping that you would pull out a prom picture. She's like, <laughs> and I have the visuals to prove it. No. Yes. Um, oh. No, so, so shout, we love we loved Elvis in the Midwest, in my very Midwestern Illinois or Indiana home, depending mm -hmm. on where I was at when I was growing up. Yeah. My aunt's dog was named after Elvis. Oh, that's cute. She told her children that they were going to get to name that dog. And then I showed up and that dog's name was Elvis. <laughs> and I was like, that's not what they picked. And she's like, mm, aren't you smart? <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's a big deal. He's a big deal. He's a big deal. Okay, so talk to me about your relationship with Elvis. I know you said that you love Elvis, but like give it give me more context here. Sure. Like so when I was growing up, my family only listened to the oldie station. Do you remember when we listened to radio in the car? And it was do. just whatever our families were into that day. Yeah. Um, so it was only oldies, and that's why I love Motown. Yeah. 
or any any song that says shake it on baby now i'm like oh here it is i've been twisting and shouting since i was seven years old um and 90s country that's why the first song that i could sing word from word when i was not school age yet was billy ray cyrus's achy breaky heart (laughs) so we and elvis is my aunt's favorite musician my mom was one of those moms who always had music playing in the house. We were always dancing. We were always singing along. Um, and then Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Just like Lilo and Stitch is my sister's favorite Disney movie. I think I could be wrong. She'll yell at me. Um, and that soundtrack. That's what keeps Elvis alive for me is the Lilo and Stitch <laughs> soundtrack. Yeah. And then Winona does that. Um, this just look at the scrolling banner like we're on cnn <laughs> i love elvis and i love elvis with a white basic lady's passion who did not know that he stole all of his music he's a cultural appropriator right because i grew up around white people white yeah. people weren't going to tell me that <laughs> white well, and maybe weren't. maybe they didn't know and maybe they didn't know everyone i've talked to has yelled at me elvis was a wonderful man he was a nice man. <laughs> like, okay. Is he coming to New Year's? <laughs> like, Elvis was a nice man. He was a nice man. He 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 made it so we could all make rock and roll. I'm like, none of us did in our family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm as rock and roll as we get in my family. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's the best. But yeah, we love Elvis. We love Elvis. And, you know. We're not getting to the uh, appropriation yet, but you let me know and I'm ready. (laughs) If you're just tuning in, I'm Julia Washington, host of Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we analyze pop culture through the lens of race or gender and sometimes both. (laughs) I'm joined by Natalie Katona. These CNN like banners where it's like, (laughs) no one told Natalie Elvis was a cultural appropriator. She lived her whole life. She had to go to a movie. To, she had to make oh, friends shit. with I'm one frozen. Jules Washington. It mirrors at you. Here we go. If, are you back? Oh, oh now you're frozen. What? There we go. You're back. I'm back. Hey, no, for one thing, I listen. I grew up in Northwest Indiana. None of those white people were going to sit me down and be like, you know, Elvis from the Lilo <laughs> and Stitch soundtrack. He stole all that music from B.B. King. And then I would have had to go, well, can we listen to B.B. King then? And they would have been like, no, we just can't find his, him on the radio. <laughs> they don't play him on our stations in Indiana. It's a very white upbringing. <laughs> Do you want to make a CNN b- banner that goes, this just in, Natalie is in fact white? <laughs> How did you know? this justin namely is in fact how white (laughs) y'all this is our first time there's a little logo next to my head it has a duck on it this is our first time using Streamyard, so i guess we're just gonna we're just gonna play around and you get to be here for it you're you're welcome Uh, as a reminder we are talking about elvis the cultural appropriator (laughs) So let's get into it. I eventually I, grew up to love BB King. I would just like well, to. Well, 
my white fragility is coming in and i would just like everyone to know (laughs) do you remember so i grew up listen my as natalie knows and some of you who are regular listeners and tuning in people may know i'm my dad's black so i grew up with um within the black community and black cultural experiences and so when bb king started doing the finger prick diabetes commercials i was like what is happening i don't even know that (laughs) I didn't because, know BB King did that. Is he a diabetes or has? I don't. I think. Did he you just does. say it like Brett Michael says it? The diabetes. <laughs> the diabetes. <laughs> is that not how you say it? It's diabetes. Okay. Well, you and Brett Michaels. Every rose has its thorn, and you got to prick your finger if you have the diabetes. <laughs> anyway, I was like, "What is happening? This is weird." Because I grew up listening to like my grandparents putting him on and just like being in the background and he was like this really cool bluesy guy and then here he's like me and lucille and then like it's so nice to have a prick free diabetes reading and you're just like what is happening but i do want to say the decades long debate has been he's Mm -hmm. a cultural appropriator Correct. And the stealer of black music. Uh And then the other side says, well, he's just a vehicle that brought black music to white audiences. And let me tell you, if this movie isn't the song of the white man going, you guys, Elvis had black friends and he tried (laughs) to help them out in the music business. So, so. I was going to say, you know, this movie also makes it appear that Elvis was close to all of the artists he stole from. There's even a scene. I think it's when he sees Little Richard playing where he goes, I want to cover this song. And then <laughs> I want to like, do the Tutti Frutti song. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just like, OK. OK. okay. So A.O. Scott from The New York Times, who I think I might actually like love because oh. all of his stuff is really good. But I don't know who he is. But every time I read his stuff, I'm just like, hmm. And if he wants to slide into those DMs, we wouldn't say no. (laughs) I mean, I might. But (laughs) he said, this is the best out of all the articles I read. This was my favorite. Because I told you after I watched this, I was like, they were very polite about him being a cultural appropriator. And I don't know how I feel about it. They were very Downton Abbey about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A.O. Scott says, There's no doubt that Elvis, like many white Southerners of his class and generation, loved blues and gospel. He loved country and Western, too, a genre the film mostly dismisses. He also profited from the work of black musicians and from industry apartheid and a movie that won't grapple with the dialectic of love and theft that lies at the heart of the American popular music can't hope to tell the whole story. A.O. Scott with the New York Times. I was like... That is such a better way to say it than me saying it. They were so polite about his cultural appropriation. (laughs) They sure were. Um, There was one time. There was one mention. They like gave us the like, he really felt bad about it. Because there was like one time he was like, man, Mama, Mama Thornton, she she, uh, called me on the phone and she asked if she could open for me. And sweaty Tom Hanks just said no. (laughs) And I couldn't. And it was during one of his like drug spirals, par- yeah. paranoia scenes. And I was like, he's like, and I would have done it. I would have done it. But Tom said no. Tom said no. The colonel said no. Is it the, the colonel? colonel no. <laughs> he wasn't even a real colonel. We find he, out. He wasn't a real person. He, he wasn't a real person. 
<laughs> Lee Tom Hanks said that Mama Thornton, Big Mama Thornton, she couldn't do it. She could not do it. Yeah. And and like I would love to know the validity of that statement of like Elvis was still taking phone calls from Big Mama Thornton and BB King and trying to get them on his record or whatever. Because when the movie starts, mm-hmm. he is technically a vehicle for a small time record label to try and get people of color onto radio. Like they wanted right. to use Sun Elvis, records, right? Right. They wanted to use Elvis first. Like, don't worry, we got a white. And then they were like, but have you met BB King? No. <laughs> so, like, I I believe, I believe that Elvis had the utmost respect for those people. Where, where the marriage of these two truths come for me is, is that it honestly can be both. It can be that Suspicious Minds is one of the best songs that I've ever fucking danced to. So is Devil in Disguise. However, it can also be that Elvis was a man who loved B.B. Kane and Little Richard and Big Mama Thornton and all of them. But he is also a white man who benefited from the era that he was living in. And we should be able to talk about both. Yeah, because the people that he, quote, borrowed from Mm -hmm. didn't receive the same benefit that he did. They did not get the same. I mean, B.B. King, sure. But B.B. King didn't have the crossover that Elvis had right. or some of the other artists. And it's funny that you bring that up because I, another, you know, me and my quotes, mm-hmm. Vanity Fair did an article titled, what did black artists of the era really think of Presley? And they basically confirmed in this article that the film accurately portrays his relationship with BB King. And in King's memoir, he even defends Elvis by saying all of this was Elvis's interpretation. So these songs were just Elvis's interpretation of the originals. And that kind of like landed, that didn't land well with me because Nobody else got as wealthy as right. Elvis did. So if you're going to take my shit, my intellectual property, and reinterpret it and make millions off of it, I'm I'm going to ask for a kickback. Yeah, Give me at he, least half. I didn't see him moving in BB King and Big Mama Thornton into Graceland. Right. I saw a bunch of other bros on Graceland. And and, and, and one 14-year-old Priscilla Presley. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, So there's also that. And again, I mean, you know, I left that movie and I was like, you know, that poor Elvis. I was quietly weeping. I I was quietly weeping. Yeah. And I guess, and here's something that I love about film is when I do live, like leave questioning my own reality. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, what if it is both? What if he was the king of rock and roll and he had no right to that title because he stole all of his music. But what if he was a bro who really loved the rhythm and blues? I also love R&B. <laughs> I also, and I mean, I won't be releasing my album White Sugar, but I do love <laughs> Motown and R&B. Oh, and then you know, because I told you that I was going to go to this movie and just seep into my white guilt. So you know that the more that Elvis hung out with black people and was like, I love your music and I love your take on the gospel and God. I was sitting there and I was like, fuck, am I Elvis? Oh my God. Am I, am I always the white girl who really thinks that she can hang? And she's just like, I love R&B and I love Motown. And I swear that I, (laughs) 
am here to support you. I'm like, am I Elvis? Is no one going to tell me? <laughs> Until they do a biopic with me and a sweaty Jared Leto is playing my manager. And that's when they're going to tell me that I, in fact, was Elvis. <laughs> I just feel like, <laughs> is that what they're going to put on my tombstone was in fact Elvis? <laughs> because as you know, I am an appreciator of all things, not white. <laughs> and I feel like that's, you know, that's fair. I mean, look at Jack Harlow when he should have put the BET awards this year. It's like, wait. I'm confused because I haven't followed the Jack Harlow train, right? Like yeah. I'm not on that fan wave. So when they announced like, you know, when they, his name flashed up on the screen in the opening credit or whatever it was where I saw that he was going to be there. I was like, wait, what? Which is fine because cool. But at well, the same time, I'm just like, no, BET was specifically created because black people couldn't get on TV. <laughs> Right. But so we've grown. We've grown. We've grown. We've we've evolved, which is nice because now everyone's allowed on TV if you follow the right narrative that Kinda. the execs want you to have. <laughs> Kinda. Kinda. You are technically allowed on TV. Now whether or not you'll find yourself on TV. It's a whole different story. It's a whole different story. Yeah. Thanks the help. <laughs> We ain't got that kind of time. We I got a whole lot of, of opinions about that book slash movie. Like, oh, yeah? I feel is so it... bad for Viola Davis. Like, she absolutely is the best actress I've ever seen perform in Fences because I've only ever seen her perform in Fences. But, like, mm -hmm. even she's got stuff to say about having been in that movie and it breaks my heart. Go ahead. And I, so, And I think that's why they had gross, sweaty Tom Hanks tell the story. Because then you do end up sympathizing with Elvis, which there are a list of reasons that I left that movie. Yeah. Sympathizing with Elvis. But do we want to yeah. get to the Priscilla of it all before I start sympathizing with this man? Just one more note on the whole narrator narrator thing. That's a very Baz Luhrmann uses that technique yeah. in almost everything that he does. So I, you know, there was rumblings on the internet about how it shouldn't have been from Colonel Parker's perspective, and da da da. And I was like, do you not pay attention to Baz Luhrmann? Like he used the father in Romeo and Juliet to narrate that movie. Mm -hmm. um, he used. I think Ewan McGregor's character is the narrator for Moulin Rouge. And then I'm trying to remember, I, I saw Great Gatsby and I think I watched half of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I still hate this story. F you. F Scott. Is Ian McGregor the narrator or is it that little man who like starts oh, off the movie? I think it's the little I think it's the person the person who starts off the movie. You're probably the, it's been a couple of years man. since I've seen it. I listen to the soundtrack pretty regularly. Yeah, I mean, um, but, you know, that's a very that's what he does. Yeah. Like. BL, because I don't want to keep saying his name, gets has somebody to narrate the story. So what if he finds us? <laughs> I'm scared. And he's like, Elvis was a great man. And I made a movie so you would get on board with him being a great man. And I'm like, man, I <laughs> it's fine. Okay. But yeah, it's just, it's that's just what he does. So it was one of those moments where I thought, did you forget? Get, or have you never seen a Baz Luhrmann movie before? I mean, people don't pay attention to shit mm -mm, <laughs> that they're mm -mm. going to the movie to see. Also true. One okay, time I watch a mother, a grandmother, and a teenage daughter walk into 40-year-old virgin. Oh! And they were... Yeah. 
And I had to sit in that movie theater knowing that they were watching that together. Oh, that's so uncomfortable. That's awkward. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. What is this trend bringing children into like children into like rated R movies? Like hot take. I don't like it. Keep your kids at home. Please. And I understand it's hard to get a sitter. You don't want to pay for it. I get it. But with streaming, it's going to be there in a week. Right. And also, I don't want to listen to sex jokes with your children in the room. No, I want to laugh at said sex jokes. Yeah. And I want to make an audible noise when Jeff Goldblum is sexy during Jurassic Park. Did you like that? That is my right as a grown woman. <laughs> did, did, did you like that uh, That uh, meme I DM'd you about yeah. Jeff Goldblum? Did you yeah. see it? Okay. Uh-huh. Just checking to make sure you saw it. Because I think I like bombed you that day with a bunch of stuff. So while I was on vacation. <laughs> yeah. So it's like shit. I'm so sorry. I'm just gonna spam you right now, but all these things you need to see. Um, yeah, okay. Let's dive into your Priscilla. Because this is why I'm here as the host of To All the Men I've Tolerated Before. Everyone, let me weave you a tale of Priscilla Presley. And can we like and again? Elvis was a great man. He was the king of rock and roll. So damn talented. Can we also say in the same sentence that he married a 14-year-old? <laughs> he, number one, this was the movie that I became aware of because, as you know, I have no idea of the general timeline of our country, our universe, anything. <laughs> I'm a time traveler. I don't need to know this fucking timeline because it's, it's the wrong one. Anyway. It's, yeah. it's the wrong one. Tom Hiddleston, take me back. <laughs> And I'll know that timeline. He's going to be a daddy soon. That would be real hard for him to take you back. Fine. Sorry. He can take me and that baby. That yeah. baby don't need me on this timeline. His um, baby's going to be team mixed. I'm so proud of him. Yeah. And eventually that baby probably ain't going to have no rights. So <laughs> take it on my timeline where yeah. I thrive. So anyways, um, Elvis Presley didn't go um, to war, which is what I grew up believing when they told me that Elvis was also a soldier who served our country, I was like, wow, Elvis went to war. <laughs> they sent the king of rock and roll to war. That's not what happened. <laughs> he, all of the Southern people who loved Jesus decided that Elvis was the devil himself. Maybe the devil in disguise. Maybe the devil in disguise. <laughs> and so sweating Tom Hanks. The colonel was like, you know what, fix that up real quick, real quick. We gonna send your boy to the service. He's gonna serve his country like I pretended I did. (laughs) And he's gonna come back an all-American hero. And they just sent him to Germany. (laughs) And then open up on a pretty little girl staring out the window in Elvis's bedroom. (laughs) And that's where we meet Priscilla. This just it. Elvis didn't go to war. I didn't know that. I thought he went to war <laughs> like my cousins. Like Joe DiMaggio did when he enlisted during World War II. Right. Like Joe DiMaggio did. I thought my cousins served some war and my uncles with Elvis. <laughs> so despite their age gap, it's, it's amazing. Fine. Right. It's amazing what children will tell themselves. <laughs> um. So anyways. Open up to a pretty little girl in Elvis's room. Her name's Priscilla. And I don't know if anyone caught this, but the other grown men in that dormitory <laughs> were making fun of Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, why are you like these people clearly have an understanding of 
you right. probably shouldn't be alone in the room you, with this you person. Right. You probably shouldn't have a 14-year-old in your dorm room, Elvis. It's not a great look. They're making fun of him. He's hissy about it because Elvis was a little moody. And That's what the way Austin Butler says, I've never met anyone like you before. I was like, No, yeah, you have Austin Butler. I'm amazing. Actually. <laughs> actually. So this is what happened, everybody. I don't know if we all know this. Um, Elvis paid Priscilla's stepdad <laughs> to let him bring bring her back with him to the States. You heard it here first. She was 14 years old. I guess in my family, the saving grace for Elvis is, I mean, at least he put her through boarding school. Um that's not what Jerry Lee Lewis did with his 14-year-old cousin. I'm like, you know, I guess if we're comparing apples and oranges, you're right. At least Priscilla got an education. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think we should be asking ourselves why we turn a blind eye every time the musician in the room is courting a 12-year-old. And writing songs about it. Like, there are so many rock and roll songs. He didn't write any songs about it. He just stole them. Well, no, I was thinking of Sister Christian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sister, Sister Christian, Christian yeah, yeah. the time has come. Or, or the one where it's like, um, it, of that era, the you're so you're 16, you're beautiful in your mind. You know that yeah. one I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, Why did I think that that song was amazing when I was a child? I don't know. I guess the same way that I'm a full-ass adult going, blurred lines. <laughs> you know I want it. I know yeah. you want it in some <laughs> good times. Or however the fuck that song goes. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's just all about sexual assault. It's fine. And then one of the uh, models came out later and was like, yeah, no, I totally was manhandled by Robin Thicke. So right. that wasn't fun. And, and then Fox is like, we'll make him the... Uh, the judge on the mask singer and Natalie will forget all about it. And she did. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'm like, Robin Thicke is kind of delightful. And my sister's like, he is literally a predator. He's he the Chet Hanks. He's an, he's, he and Chet Hanks are like in the same club, kind of. Yeah. No, like, I don't know if Chet Hanks is a predator. I just know that Chet Hanks says weird, dumb shit where you're yeah. just like, how are you America's dad's child? She, he, She's like, he's literally a predator. He literally wrote a song about how he's a predator. And you're like, but he likes it when the people are dressed as ducks and sing the pop songs. I do. Yeah. Um, it's easy so, when it's flashy. Like yeah. this movie, it was so flashy that I forgot for a minute until they reminded us politely that he stole from black people. Right. And then let's talk about Priscilla for a second. And how they painted her to be this beautiful, supportive wife, which I'm sure that she was all 17 years of her. Because what else are you going to do when you're married to a grown man except for tell him, baby, you seem like an angel. You seem like an angel. And you should just be singing the songs that you find fun. <laughs> That's a very 17-year-old thing to say. Yeah. Rocking a baby Lisa Marie. I don't know how Lisa Marie sat through this movie if it was this hard for me. She loved it. it. She gave she it. She loved winning. it. Yeah, she totally loved it. Gave it her seal of approval. Because had even a whole about how she wished her son was here to see it too. Because eventually, it was so difficult for me to be watching. I was concerned for her well-being. I was like, "How did Lisa Marie sit through this movie? I am so sad." Especially <laughs> the scenes where he's like clearly being drugged. Yes, like that was hard. Yes. So then, and then, so Priscilla's being painted as a very 
doting wife. And then Elvis is being painted as kind of just like an absent husband. I was like, are we going to pretend like he didn't hit her? In his, dr- in his drug rage? There's a lot of things this movie pretended didn't happen. Listen, I watch Great Balls of Fire with Dennis Quaid as the killer himself, Jerry Lee Lewis, at least once a week when I was a child because I was wildly unsupervised. Wasn't Winona Ryder the one who Winona Ryder was Mora. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watched that movie once a week. I loved it. It was always on TV. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I loved Dennis Quaid. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. he has a band, right? Dennis Quaid? Yeah. Dennis Quaid, you hit me up with your tour dates. They they came when I was working at the county fair. The year I worked at the county fair, his band came through. They were one of the one. He bought a hamster from our FFA kids. You know, I missed it when Kevin Bacon's band came through town, the Bacon Brothers. And I'm, so, I'm still so hurt. I It was I, before I was comfortable going to things by myself and everyone oh. ditched me. I support your hurt because that's so hard. Hurt. It's I'm Kevin so Bacon. Hurt. It's Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Footloose himself. So anyways, in that movie, that made-for-TV movie that they put on television every day, you watch Dennis Quaid smack the shit out of Winona Ryder. And I'm like, you know what? I respect it because that's what happened. And I would have respected if Austin Butler had also gone there. I'm like, are we just going to pretend? And then they have like one girl in Elvis's bed and she he's like, I don't know, honey. I, I just think you need to go. <laughs> I don't know what this voice is. I don't I know either, but I'm here for it. Keep it up. And so then... I was doing karaoke in one of my Facebook groups and I chose Suspicious Mind because it was like, do the classics. And, you know, do you know that for the last 20 seconds of Suspicious Minds, it's just, we're caught in a trap. Mm -hmm. We can't walk out. And it's just that for 20 Mm -hmm. seconds. He had me do that for 20 seconds. So Mm -hmm. eventually I started doing crowd work. (laughs) I was like, I was like, do you think we're caught in a trap? That Priscilla's suspicious mind, we can't walk out, uh, is because that she had to witness Elvis every night kiss women in his audience. <laughs> that was like, I could not, I was like, but you know what? How? I remember, I remember all of the older women in my family talking about that when you went to an Elvis show. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever went, but they talked about how if you went to an Elvis show, yeah, he would make out with you. <laughs> oh man i don't know if i'd want to make out with the actual elvis i'd make out with austin butler elvis i mean well here's the thing i would make out with elvis that is one year into that las vegas tour yeah like his first couple of shows when he thought he was only going to have to do five weeks i'd make yeah. out with that elvis any day yeah. i am however are we ready to move into why i was so sad throughout this whole yes. movie mm-hmm, let's do it so Again, hi, everyone. My name is Dan Lincoln and I'm just here to tell you the hard truths. Um, we have a huge problem in our society and in mostly the music industry where it is just known that we drug these people mm-hmm. to make them complacent mm-hmm. and able to work as far hard as I need to work them and to get them into situations that benefit me more than them, their art, their music, any yeah. of it. And it kills me. And there's no protection. Like no when protection. In it, you, if you do have somebody who is there to sort of like be your guardian, a family member or what have you, they, it's that's what they manipulate first. Mm-hmm. Because if, and I wonder all the time too, like what would have happened to Elvis if his mom hadn't died when she died? 
Right. Because she really was a mama bear, at least it portrayed in this film. She really was a mama bear who would do whatever she could. And that closet scene where <sighs> sweaty Tom Hanks is basically I'm manipulating. Yeah. Manipulating Austin Butler and like believing that he's going to uphold his mom's best wishes and hopes for him. And it's like, no, you're not. No, you're we not. all know you're not. Never trust somebody who isn't like, I don't know. I just... I was like, that's it. That's the end of Elvis. This is where he falls apart. This is where we lose him. And like, here's the thing. I hear way too often that that's just part of the gig being pushed upper and downers all the time. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to fucking roach you and kill you one day. And then everyone wants to talk about what a tragedy it is once you are dead. Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. Elvis Presley. She legit. (laughs) I mean, that song Rehab Mm -hmm. tried to go to rehab, but they said no, no, no. And then there's a documentary where somebody whose name I won't say um, basically was like, yeah, don't go to rehab, write these songs. Like she's killing herself with drugs and you are telling her not to go to rehab and to finish the album. Like that's a problem. So, and then what kills me is it couldn't just stop at the medical abuse. By the time he's at that Las Vegas show Mm -hmm. for so long, I mean, I went, oh my God. Elvis was a caged tiger. That's what I thought, too. He was a caged animal. Eventually, he re- someone, oh, it was the hotel man, the guy who owned the Las Vegas building. He he called Elvis a sideshow attraction. Oh. He's like, your carnival act's one of the be- best ones I've ever seen. I went, he's the fucking king of rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. And they had him trapped in that. I was like, so no wonder he was paranoid. Number one, he was paranoid because he was pushed to be paranoid. Yeah. People lied to him. Yep. Um, And then no wonder that he died. And, and I think that when I was growing up, I was always given this. I was given the funny story, right? Because like family full of comedians. I was like, oh, you know, Elvis died on his golden toilet eating a PB&J. <laughs> I was like, what? And it ends there. Yeah. But when you're sitting in a two and a half hour movie and you're just watching him be pumped mm-hmm. full of drugs and then his world tour is getting taken away and then he's getting his he's on stage not knowing that he's getting his life signed away for some fat asses gambling debts. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Lisa Marie sat through it, but maybe she was so blessed that this part of the story came out. Right, because they do gloss over a lot of other things. There was a handful of articles. Oh, I think it was in the A.O. Scott New York Times article where he was like, everything in this movie that you see in this movie, you can read on Wikipedia because they avoid so many other things that happened in Elvis's life. Um, But she did. She went. She I think she took to Instagram and was just like, this is incredible. Like, everyone go see it. It's amazing. The hard part for me was because you know i was on your show and we talked about all the musicians i've dated yeah let's just keep scrolling apparently um i haven't learned my lesson apparently um shaking out your list mm -hmm. (laughs) um there are elements like where it was just like like to your point about well you're not going to show the volatile relationship between he and priscilla well when they're having their fight and she's like i'm leaving you and he's like when i'm 40 and you're 30 which is the only mention of the age gap yeah that conversation like when you love somebody so much and they are just losing themselves Mm -hmm. in the music but not the music but in the system of the music 
it's really hard. And for me, like that scene wasn't as emotional as the one from A Star is Born. Oh, that's what I was going to bring up. And like A Star is Born is a movie that I love. I can listen to the, I, I listen to the soundtrack all the time. I can only watch it once. I watched that movie once and I was like, I know this life, not the celebrity, but the mm-hmm. but the drug addiction and the and the fighting and the self-deprecation and the self-hate, but being super talented. Like I was like, I I don't know who wrote this, but this is like the most accurate portrayal of a volatile uh, yeah. um, addiction relationship with music I've ever seen. And it and and Elvis doesn't capture that. She in does the same say way that I think she, they could have. And I think it's the first time that someone has oh, given frozen names. again. Damn Are it. You? It worked. <laughs> I did the thing. You did the thing. Okay. Um, it is the first movie that I've sat through and someone gave voice to what that is. When she says, you'll never love me as much as you love the adrenaline that you get from that stage or whatever she gets because as a person who has an addictive personality look at me doing this (laughs) and i'm gonna how many times are we going live this week i'm gonna check the likes and the comments every day what up cinemondo i check those likes and comments every day it's not even my show (laughs) it was just a guest (laughs) and and i get it and then to watch how easily that pivots into alcoholism, uh-huh. pills, harder drugs, any and all of it, you really have to steel yourself mm-hmm. against that. And then if your entire team is telling you, no, this is what you need to do for mm-hmm. the music, mm-hmm. and you know that the music is the only thing keeping you going, you're you're going to put whatever they say in your mouth. Yeah. And there were some instances when he didn't even have a choice. They were just no. pumping him full of whatever they could anyway keep him just high enough jeff just out of it enough to Mm -hmm. like just hand it over and it's no big deal and then at the end of the day we still body shame the poor man with Uh fat impersonators yep when's the last time you saw a skinny elvis impersonator in his prime john stamos on full house (laughs) hey john stamos we love you still hot (laughs) still comfy with john Mm -hmm. stamos Mm -hmm. until John, do you have something that you need to tell me? (laughs) Please don't ruin John Stamos for me. Please don't ruin Uncle Jesse for me. (laughs) So so it just makes me sad. And it makes me sad that when I was growing up that that was a joke. Yeah. And it makes me sad that it's still a joke. And I think it still makes me sad that it's always a joke. Mm -hmm. We have to get to the point where addiction isn't a comedy for our amusement or a tragedy for us to trauma dump. We have to get to the point where addiction is literally something that we have a baseline on Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. it's like people live with this. They deserve treatment. They deserve to have people around them who are going to support them. And they for hellish do not deserve to have people in their employment who are going to use their addictions against them to make them a cash cow. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because when you think about the different types of addiction that we allow or sort of say are okay in our country, mm-hmm. right? Like people like my the, soda pop addiction. I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I can't have Oreos in the house because I'll eat the whole pack and people will give me Oreos as a gift. And I thought, you know, if I was on Coke, you wouldn't give me Coke for Christmas. 
Right. You know, so the, the cookies is okay, but the Coke is not. But really what we should be addressing is what is causing us to be addicted to said item? What What's are the we root escaping? Of that? What are we escaping? You know, Sophia Bush, so back to One Tree Hill that we cover on Tuesdays. Sophia Bush, when Brooke was definitely the heaviest drinker on the show and she was a teen girl who was always blitzed and always drunk or whatever, she said that that's what she used. She goes, I had to sit with Brooke Davis and I had to figure out what exactly it was. Yeah. She was trying to escape. Yeah. And that, and we all deserve to have the opportunity to figure that out because we do so much in this country. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You don't have time to process your emotions. You got to go, 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 go. Right. And if you have any emotions, especially if you're male, it's viewed as being weak. Um, and if women have emotions, you're too emotional. And you're just kind of like, but we're clearly not okay. Right. So what can we do to become okay? I don't know. Maybe like make mental health services mandatory and affordable would be nice. Oh, are you talking about socialized health care? <laughs> Can't wait to have that argument with my doctor when she's like, you never got your blood work done. And I was like, that's right. I woke up and once again didn't have socialized health care. But at that. Yep. Um, so I almost didn't make it through Unchained Melody because oh. I did they pepper in real um, footage of Elvis? OK, I was waiting for you to have this conversation to say that final scene where he's singing that's his final performance that's really him right i remember him them saying that i have footage of elvis. i was there for elvis's final performance and it is him mm -hmm. they don't even bounce between austin butler it, and they, elvis and at first i was like that still kind of i still kind of feel and it wasn't it's 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 the footage from that show i couldn't do it and Unchained Melody is a very long song to not be able to sit through it. Mm -hmm. And I was wrecked. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I can't. It was the same when Carol King sang to Aretha Franklin at mm -hmm. the end of that biopic. It was it was all of it. I was like, I I can't watch people's last performances. I can't like do not make me sit through a sweaty uncomfortable dying Elvis after you told me what we all did to him. Yeah. Because and it's go ahead. I think the beauty of this movie is that it does start with him as a 15 year old kid who basically joined the circus. Yeah. And I think that there are currently thanks to TikTok and YouTube and all of it. A lot of 15 and younger children who are trying to join the circus. Mm -hmm. And right now, I don't find that circus to be a very safe place for anybody still. Yeah. Because the medical abuse happened to Kesha. Justice for Kesha all day, every day. I'll never not say it when I see one of these movies. And they're like, I can't believe that Aretha Franklin was drugged to the point where she couldn't even sing her own songs. I go, why it happened to Kesha? It ha yeah, it's it having to catch up five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's the. It happened to Britney. We just freed Britney. Yeah. And we were awful to Britney 20 years ago. We were awful to Britney. And I don't even know how Jessica Simpson and Christina Aguilera escaped it or what they've kept under wraps. Yeah. Yep. So it's literally a luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes down to how resilient are your parents? Right. 
Because that's the other part of it too, right? Like I know I mentioned Judy Garland earlier and to mm. bring her back into the situation, they literally forced her mom out. Yeah. So you could still be a mama bear and there's still going to be somebody who's going to politely walk you out of the studio. Yeah. And that's not okay either. And so it's that concept and idea that because I have something that can make you money, I'm now a commodity. I'm no longer human. And we do whatever we can to dehumanize that person so we can continue to keep that cash flow going. I mean, God, the Britney Spears situation is the most egregious of them all in recent history. Yeah. But it's it's so heartbreaking and it's not okay how the system still sort of feeds into that. And to your point about TikTok, a lot of TikTok creators kind of went and were like, we're done. We can't yeah. keep up the system. We can't keep making content. Like it's, I'm burning out. How are you not doing something to, and, and well, we have 70 year old people who don't understand the um, internet trying to make laws. Right. So they're at all. Yeah. And I don't know. And then, because again, I left the movie sad and quietly weeping, mm -hmm. trying to get on my very fashionable sunglasses. Um, shout out to that guy outside of the movie theater just hanging out to be like, was your movie good? <laughs> yeah, it was a fine movie. Well, did he do Hound Dog? Yep, he did a couple times. You should go see it. That's why mm -hmm. I'm crying, actually, because yeah. Hound Dog's my least favorite one. No, that's not true. <laughs> you ain't nothing my Hound Dog. It gets me every time. When I but trained in dance, that was one of my songs as a kid <laughs> for the recital. But here's the thing. Then I had to go home in all of my white guilt and be like, what if Elvis had been in charge of his own career? Would he have helped out Big Mama Thornton? What if that's true? Would he have uplifted the artists whose songs he was, you know, stealing? Mm -hmm. Would he have gone on a world tour and lived until he was 80 years old and maybe gotten uh, back together with Priscilla? I don't know. Because supposedly he did help get B.B. King work. Okay. So according to one of the articles I read now, I can't remember which one it was. I don't remember if it was Vanity Fair or New York Times or the Rolling Stones. But you're not wrong because at some point, all of these musicians who sort of go through this tragedy of being abused mm -hmm. in whatever form it is, because Taylor Swift has her own version. You yeah. know, the Beach Boys have their own version. Michael Jackson has his version, etc. They all... Some of them are allowed to come back and have a form of redemption where they right the wrongs. Mm -hmm. So would Elvis have been one of those people had right. he had, you know, made it past how was he 43? Yeah. Which yeah. when you look at the video of him at being 43 years old and then I think about everybody I know that's 43, I'm like, man, he looks old compared yeah. To the 43 year olds I know but that's what happens when you're pumped full of drugs and alcohol and living off of peanut butter mm. as my sister loves to call me once a day and tell me you know the reason he had that heart attack and his heart exploded was because he was constipated from all of the peanut butter I'm like what a fun tip <laughs> is that a real thing that could happen it's a thing that she heard at trivia oh huh. <laughs> I 
eat peanut butter every day. <laughs> I also eat peanut butter every day, but we don't eat it for every meal, and that's what makes us healthy. Yeah. It's, I put it on a, some toast and do yeah. a little sliced oh, banana. Put it, put it on a bagel. Maybe there's a granola situation. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to be scared of food. <laughs> I don't want to die on my toilet. I'm not the queen of anything yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet um okay yeah. so oh sorry what were you gonna say? i was just I was saying say, <laughs> i was just filling in the silence okay i was gonna ask you mm-hmm. are you still comfy with elvis the man the myth the legend when it comes to elvis and my comfort level it definitely has changed now am i going to take the lilo and stitch soundtrack off of my self-care plan no (laughs) i'm not okay i deserve the lilo and stitch soundtrack and to be honest i'm sick of men ruining everything for me and it's not when i think of elvis it's not even elvis that i'm uncomfortable with because he was a dumb kid who the wrong man looked at him twice yeah and then he became the rock the king of rock and roll all because he could do something weird with his legs. I think Elvis had undiagnosed ADHD. Like probably, probably. <laughs> that's what they that didn't, was. They didn't know what it was back then. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's what, what is Elvis wrong has. with this kid? He has yeah. undiagnosed ADHD, mm-hmm. just like I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even Elvis that I'm uncomfy with. It's it's the legend part of it. It's the way that we talk about Elvis. It's the way that it's okay. For Elvis to have stolen all of those sh- those shows because we love him mm-hmm. and he used to make out with us in the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact that people can't bridge that gap to where both stories and both narratives are true. Where it's, I'm not saying that it was Elvis's fault that he got to live in a world where he was handed more opportunities than people. The systems that we have in place are technically no one's fault except for the old cronies who put them in place. Mm -hmm. But we have to start talking about it honestly. And we have to say things like, damn, I love the devil in disguise. But do you know that that man married a 14 year old? Weird. And just like say that it's weird. So that Robin Thicke can't marry a 14 year old. So that Ezra Miller (laughs) can't currently be kidnapping a 12 year old. Is she okay? Does she want to call me? So maybe if we would rewrite our hero worship of Elvis, like I'm not saying shut down Graceland. Yeah. I'm not saying take his corpse and throw it into prison because he's a mm-hmm. predator. I'm just saying like talk about it how it happened. Mm-hmm. Talk about it how it happened and then take the time to get to know B.B. King mm-hmm. and Big Mama Thornton. And pay your respects. This is why I can't stand about um, people who claim that they love a thing. When I love a thing, I want to go to the roots of the thing. I I want to get to know B.B. King. I want to get to know Big Mama Thornton. I want to hear where all of those things ha- came from. It's part of the experience for me. Yeah, yeah. So don't just stop at the comfy white guy that you like looking at because he's got real good hips. And be like, well, now I don't have to check out B.B. Kane. I already heard all of his songs. And, like, literally. Because the thing of it is, covers aren't new. No, <laughs> they they're all not. Tra- yeah. they, 
they all that's what i learned about biopics is who actually writes people's songs and who bought those songs and who mm -hmm. took those songs and made it a pop number and then who like the transition from dolly parton's uh i will always love you mm -hmm. that's about her manager and how she's having to fire him compared to the whitney houston ballad that we love to pretend that we can screech into the night yeah. at karaoke right how many times after whitney died was i not even knowing that i was at karaoke and some sad woman <laughs> was at the mic screeching i will always love yeah. you and i'm like hit that note baby and then they don't and then they don't because no one's whitney no one. like the sharing of music isn't new, and I'm not even saying stop it because that's how we evolve. That's how things get better. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even uncomfortable with the fact that he, he like me, was an appreciator of things that were outside of his realm of things to be fans of. Mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable that my side of the world can't acknowledge it. Yeah, that's what makes me uncomfy. And that is why I'm having so many hard conversations with all of my family members. Yeah. <laughs> or dismisses it as right. it's OK because they brought it into the white audiences to which I, my response is always not really because no. then the white audiences aren't educating themselves like you're saying, doing the getting to the root of that information that's sort of the just stopping right there. Some really great examples of when things like that, ha like that we see in pop culture where they call, call that out, you know, the movie Dream Girls, like mm -hmm. that's a really great example. And then there's that scene in Hairspray too, where it's like you have the Saturday where all of the black folk can come on to the bandstand. Yeah. And then on Monday, it's the white girls doing it. It's a completely different version. Um, I think that having those difficult conversations is really important because we're noticing, as you know, as we all see, the world's getting more divided and it's Oh my scary. gosh. Is it? That's yeah. so weird. I know. I only talk to my cat. Like right. <laughs> Right. And I think when for me with Elvis, I always lived in that world of like, well, I love to rock out to his music. I loved his movies. I had it was like some of the movies they mentioned in, in the movie. I was like, oh, I used to have that. Yeah. Oh, I had that. Oh, I had that. But I also knew where it all came from. And and it was a part of my culture and it was part of my being, not because I'm black, but because that's my family listened to it. My mm -hmm. grandparents listened to that music and we had, you know, that in the house growing up. So it didn't occur to me that not everyone knew right. that he was borrowing music. I think the as, first time I heard Fools Rush In was on a Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh, and my it was God. a woman singing it. So I was like, so then to learn that that's an Elvis song or whoever the fuck wrote it before yeah. Elvis. Yeah. And it's this, it's the same. I didn't know that Elvis had his own version of Unchained Melody. For me, it's the other guy who does Unchained Melody. Oh, oh shucks. Who's Listen. the guy that does Unchained Melody? Listen. Oh, my, I'll sing it. So to fill in this time, my love. The Righteous Brothers. Yeah, it was always the Righteous Brothers for me. I can't believe I forgot that. Please don't tell my dad. <laughs> Excuse me. so Hi. mad. Mr. Washington. Jules forgot about the Righteous Brothers. I mean, I did too, but I am a white. 
(laughs) They will take my card away. Well, and, you know, for me, my first exposure to Elton John, my dad loves Elton John, but my first exposure to Elton John, like, outside of my parents was almost famous when I was 15 years old. Exactly. Or not even, and then my first exposure to Queen was the Mighty Ducks. (laughs) Listen, the... I for the longest time the only Queen song I knew was Bohemian Rhapsody because they used to play it in movies. Oh, like, we will, yeah, yeah, yeah. We unfortunately are. I mean, not unfortunately because we have our own Elton John's. What up, Harry Styles? I'll say it every day of the week that he's the new Elton John, and that he is video, our generation's Elton John. And that video of him, and, he should have played Elton John in the biopic. He, no, he doesn't look anything <laughs> like him. But that video of him and Shania Twain at Coachella, I could watch that shit. I have watched that shit on it's repeat on my thing. because it's so good. Like because Jeff Goldblum, it so makes me want to help. furniture and i don't watch thrillers or suspenseful movies you know this but i'm still Mm -hmm. gonna go see that olivia wilde movie with him listen florence Pugh, hit me up because i'm in love with you i'm in love with florence Pugh. i don't blame you i I want to be her and harry styles kinky little third um (laughs) so next next up that movie just kidding right so i mean we should it's really great for my podcast um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But anyways, basically, we have the luxury of getting to look backwards at all of this. Like, I understand why the people who lived through it and maybe sat there and held Elvis's hand and got to make out with them in Vegas have a hard time letting go of their picture of of Elvis of Vegas because we have the luxury to look backwards and learn and be like, wow, the Righteous Brothers and Elvis did Unchained Melody. That song is still too long. <laughs> it is too long. I love it. It's so you can't good. have sex to that song. It's embarrassing when men try to. Because <laughs> it's too long. It's too long. The woe is too long. Whoa. Like, <laughs> half the song. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, but I'm saying that everyone has to be comfortable looking back on, I hate the phrase like, well, you can't judge the past over what we know now. Well, then what the hell are we doing? Why would we ever learn anything? Yeah. And that's a ridiculous thing to say, because if we don't pay attention to the past, you can't have sex to Unchained Melody. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Who wants me to cut an album? <laughs> I'll do my own covers. Yeah. But to your point, oh my God, there's a spider on my ceiling. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fun. Do you remember when we went through a whole live at the very end of it? I told you I've been staring at a spider the entire time. And you were like, how did you hold it together? And I'm like, because I am a professional. <laughs> my only concern is, is it like if it, my hair is big and it will get lost in my hair okay anyway back to the point the point is if we don't examine the past which is the point of my show if we don't Mm -hmm. examine the past how are we going to do better for the future you know um ibram x shit what is his whole name i don't know i love him kendy ibram x kendy recently was on colbert and he was because you know how everyone's like losing their shit about like we can't talk about stuff that deals with the stuff that's bad that we did to black people because then white people will feel bad and ibram x kendi said 
shouldn't we also give people the opportunity to identify with the abolitionists? Yeah. And I was like, that's a fucking mic drop. Because absolutely, because if you're coming from a place where you think that the message is, is that all white people are bad, you need to look inside of you. Right here. That's what I'm begging people to do at the end of every one of my podcast episodes. I'm like, hi, gang. Um, If you like last week's episode about uh, geeks and how they're hateful when we game. (laughs) Look me in the eyes. I'm on to you. You're hateful and you're mean. Okay. And and I said, listen, everybody. I think it was Namley, my guest. She was like, listen, everybody. <laughs> you just have to sit in the uncomfy. And yeah. that and we haven't been trained to do it. No. We haven't been trained to do it. Some lady tried to write a white fragility book about it. And then people were mad. And they are like, what do you mean I'm fragile? I'm like, see, there it is. So <laughs> there's that fragile response right on the tip of your tongue. Um, we haven't been taught to sit in uncomfy. We have been taught to um, distract, drown, mm-hmm. um, move away from, hide, mm-hmm. push it down until it's an ulcer. The uncomfy, and we don't ever ask the, but why am I uncomfortable? Why is it so uncomfortable for me to learn that Elvis memorized all of B.B. King's songs and then turned them into hits? Mm. And I don't buy the, well, because if Elvis could do it, I could too. Okay, but you also could have done it with B.B. King's permission. Yeah. Because now we copyright music. Yeah. Taylor Swift isn't going to be that uh, happy for me if I turn blank space into an interpretive dance about my abusive relationships. Yeah. But I'm ready. (laughs) Any day. Any day. Here we go. Yeah. I think you're right. At the end of the day, we have to have the conversation about the both can exist. Yeah. And that's where it begins. Also, um, except for Sweaty Tom Hanks, there's no villain in this story. At no point then I did I go, Elvis was a dick and he deserved to die on that toilet. Elvis was also a victim of the times that he lived in. Casha mm-hmm. well, was able to take a guy to court for drugging her without her consent. Yeah. Elvis wasn't able to do that. No. This movie is very sympathetic to Elvis. Yeah. Very, very sympathetic to Elvis, which I don't know how I feel about that. But also the expectation when you hear Baz Luhrmann is in charge of a biopic about anybody or in charge of a movie about anything, you sort I at least walk into it going, okay, so there's going to be a level of disconnect. Right. Except for with The Great Gatsby. I think he probably nailed that because that book is trash. F. Scott was trash. I try to not be an apologist anymore just because I have connections with people unless you're the critical role cast. What up, Liam O'Brien? I love you. You can do no wrong. That man could kick a puppy in front of me. I'd be like, what'd that puppy do? (laughs) (laughs) Liam, talk again about anything. It sounds like a warm hug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, we have to stop being apologists. Mm -hmm. We don't have... For one thing, we're so hung up on the villain and the hero of every story. You can respect Elvis. It doesn't make him a a god. Right. For people who want to live 
in one country under one God. <laughs> we sure love to make any schmo who makes our bodies wiggle a little mm-hmm. bit our God, myself included. I have referred to Kesha as my high goddess. <laughs> I mean, I do get, I admitted earlier today, I fell into the frenzy of the Austin Butler Elvis. And there was a period of we, time where I thought I wasn't going to get out of that. We even <laughs> go into his full method. He, he did the full Elvis. Mm-hmm. He, he still believes he's Elvis. <laughs> I don't know when he's going to get out of that. He, I mean, he, de- he, I, well, we've I, had this conversation, a, a slight Southern draw. I would love to meet I'm the okay original. I would love to meet the real Austin Butler. Hun, you can come back. The movie done be out. You went to Fallon. Maybe um, when it's, maybe when it's done in theaters. You know who Austin Butler should play with his actual perfect Southern draw? If we take away that fake tan. <laughs> that and they, and he's naturally out. blonde. It's so cute. He could be Gambit. I've been waiting my whole fucking life for someone who could actually pull he off could, Gambit in work. an X-Men movie. Yes, Austin, yes, baby, yes. you call me. You yes. call me and we'll work on that together. I got a rogue costume. Ain't nobody need to know why. <laughs> and we will work it out. Sugar. Working out. I've been can waiting. Can we put this on a vision board so it'll come true? Right? Of course, That's what we people can. do. People do that, right? Because vision boards make things come true. You know, I love Channing Tatum. I love that big dumb oaf. I love. Did him. he play Gambit? They tried to make him Gambit no. in the no. Gambit movie. No, and I was like, how Channing Tatum gonna do that? No, Channing Tatum is charming with his body, but not with his mouth. Like, that's not how he, he was did. cute in Lost City. He was cute in Lost City. Like, his little fake Fabio self. Mm-hmm. He was so cute. He was so cute. But he's cute like a, a, like a puppy. Like a puppy. Yeah. Gambit's not a puppy. Gambit's a man. Gambit's he's a gonna, gator. Gambit's gonna respectfully push you up against the wall to make out with you. Yeah. <laughs> the things I would let Gambit do to my uh-huh. body. Uh-huh. Yeah. The things... That go through my mind when I watch that cartoon. My brother had a Gambit poster when we were, well, when I was a child because he was. And so what much did older you do to it? He, he wanted to throw it away and I was like, I'll keep it. I'll, I'll keep it. I'm in there right above my bed. But I couldn't because I had popcorn ceiling, but you know, I thought about it. <laughs> when I was outraged that they thought that Channing Tatum could handle my Gambit and people would be like, well, who would you have do it? I didn't know. Now we know. Because Heath Ledger was dead. And I'm like, it's really Heath. R.I.P. R.I.P. Heath. Who was a method actor, Austin. I need you to think real long and hard. Could you imagine Austin Butler going method um, with Gambit and he's just got a deck of cards with him at all times? We would need somebody, them at people. We would need to assign him mental health support so we don't <laughs> lose him. Just flaming cards. Yeah. <clears throat> pretending his girlfriend <clears throat> sucks the life force out of him <laughs> mm, mm, mm-hmm. okay 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 natalie you want to tell everybody what we have coming up this week um on still comfy sure um on still comfy this week uh tomorrow night at 10 p.m eastern 7 p.m pacific we will be doing episode seven eight nine of one tree hill um if you're 
if you're sitting there going, I don't know what One Tree Hill is. Like, did I watch that show? Let me give you a sense memory. I don't want to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. That, it's that show <laughs> with the brothers who play the ball. Yeah. A show I did not watch in our when it originally it. Um, aired. So I watched all of it. She did. She sure did. So we're I'm revisiting it. Mm-hmm. I'm having a great time. You know what show still makes me comfy? One Tree Hill. Yeah. Except for when they're real sexy. Like, it still makes me go, ooh, stop it. <laughs> Get off of her, Nate. <laughs> well, Nate what? just is awkward when I'm he so wants repressed. to be like. Anyway. Where can he's we... the only one that's 17 on that cast. <laughs> yeah, which is makes for a whole weird thing. Trying to hunt um, grown women. Yes. Ooh. But you can tune into that on Instagram on live Instagram with live. us. Yeah pop culture makes me jealous to all the men I've tolerated before what's happening on your podcast this week uh so last week on to all the men I've tolerated before the episode that is currently out is you're not too geeky to gatekeep and it's all about my platform where I shed some light onto how femme gamers are actually treated or players of color all of them anyone who's not a white guy how we're treated in the gaming community this week jules is actually the guest on the uh, podcast and we're talking about it really fits in with elvis because we're talking about um how as a society we love to shame celebrities so we can hide all of our indiscretions Mm -hmm. right under a rug oh i'm so excited it's our episode i Mm -hmm. don't remember anything i said so i can't wait to listen we also (laughs) tried to plan three more episodes on that episode <laughs> we're like and then we'll do this <laughs> we just love talking to each other about all the right, things we do um where can they find you um so the podcast is called to all the men i've tolerated before it's wherever you find podcasts but if that's hard you can find me at men i've tolerated pod on instagram and i put it all on a link for you including all of the ways that you could support the podcast with love or with my love language money (laughs) i'm excited i'm excited for uh this week's episode and friends you know pop culture makes me jealous the pod where we talk about uh pop culture through the lens of race or gender and sometimes both last week we talked with a sex therapist about Mm -hmm. the tv show normal people so hot yeah, it's a good one. She's going to come back, actually, to talk about conversations with friends. I'm real excited because that has Taylor Swift's boyfriend, rumored fiance on it, Joe Alwyn. Um, this week, it actually kind of ties in a little bit with your episode last week where I have somebody, um, Joe Gonzalez from the comic Uh-oh. news insider. That took me a minute. Um, he is one of the co- hosts of that show. Yeah, came on to talk about Steven Universe um, as well as role player games and what being a part of a community like being in the LGBTQ community and right. Steven Universe and role player games, how those two things sort of helped give language or hide depending on where you are in life. <clears throat> exactly. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts and we're also on Instagram. Pop culture makes me jealous and it's super fun if you get caught up with Natalie and me because we're a good time. 
Very good time. We have an entire series on the time traveler's wife and why Stephen Moffat is my sworn enemy. <laughs> he fucked up Doctor Who, and I'll never forgive him. Matt Smith's final adorable episodes, and Stephen Moffat's like Bleh, with all of his Moffatness on them. I love Matt Smith. We all love Matt Smith. He's yeah. cute. He's so cute. He one time wore. I think it was a Lego mask or a Bart Simpson mask around Comic-Con so he could shop Comic-Con and interact with people and get a little thrill because they didn't know it was the doctor under there. I love that. So freaking cute. That's adorbs. Friends, non-friends who will become friends soon, we thank you for your time. We will see you in the DMs. Smile, but only if it's with joy, everybody. <laughs> That's the tagline to all the men I've tolerated before. Um, <laughs> I'll say no sound until okay, you go. figure it out. Milo. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. You're the devil in disguise. <laughs> oh, yes, you 